Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We're joined by Matt Porter, who is Chief Exec at the PDC Darts Corporation and former Chief Exec and Board Member at Leighton Orient Football Club, which seems to be a theme on these podcasts at the moment. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Simon. How are you? Uh, yeah, doing well, thank you. Doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances. Hope you and everybody listening in is too. Thanks. So it'd be good for you to give a bit of background for those that aren't familiar with you of your career and how you ended up at uh, PDC Darts. Okay, yeah. So I was um, I was working, uh, well, I was studying at university um, whilst reporting on Lake Orient, the team I support for um, local media in East London. And uh, then when I graduated, Orient needed a full-time press officer for the first time. So I got that role. That was back in 2001, pretty much 19 years ago, a couple of months shy of that, that anniversary. Um, and then started working across at Matrim, which at the time was the club's parent company in about 2004. Um, became chief executive at Leighton Orient in 2006, chief exec of the Professional Darts Corporation in 2008. And at the time, because the, the majority of darts was domestic, it was okay to do both at the same time. And the club was not as big as it is now in terms of infrastructure. But by the time I left Orient in 2014, when Matrim sold it, then it was, you know, it was a a different operation. And also the darts was much more global. So uh, probably running both long term wouldn't have been sustainable anyway. But then obviously what happened happened at Orient. And um, I, I carried on working on the darts and some of the other stuff at Matrim. And then back in 2017, I worked with originally Nigel and then when Kent came on board, him and, him and the other members of the consortium as well, to uh, get the club back in what we hope are considered to be safe hands and, uh, and and take it from there. Well, it's good to have you back on board. For the last couple of years, we've had some highs and lows, but I think that that's the Orient way. And uh, yeah, nice to have you back in the frame. Thanks very much. So we're looking at productivity and from your point of view in a spe- professional sporting capacity through PDC and, and Orient. How do you? How does it kind of feature in your considerations from a professional sporting point of view? I think pro- productivity can be measured in so many different ways, can't it? You know, but the the the, the key, I think, to to anything that you deliver in a sporting arena is obviously the result that the the team or the the individual who's partaking achieves. Uh, but behind that, there's so many other different KPIs and measurements and and barometers for for not just success but effort as well. Um, and I think you, you can you can look at you can look at it from so many different angles. I mean, in, in the current climate, for example, people are rewriting rule books. You know, we, we have to be creative, we have to be innovative, we have to think about our commercial relationships and how we can deliver as best we can to, to commercial partners at a time when the traditional um, routes for doing that are, are closed in in most you know, cases. So, you know, we need to use digital platforms and modern technology to to the best of our ability to to try and you know write new new rules and new new methods for for delivering um and it's been a challenge but an interesting one probably one we don't want to have to go through too many times if we're brutally honest because of everything that's going <laughs> it. but nevertheless it has been interesting and it is there a difference in a an individual sport darts versus a team sport like football in yeah. terms of how those challenges take place? Yeah, there is. I mean, the differences are fundamental, really, rather than necessarily too technical on the sporting side of it, because in football, it's obviously a team sport. There's a lot more people involved with back with infrastructure and, and backroom staff and things like that. And also, everybody's employed by a single entity. So, in theory, has the same aims and ambitions. Whereas in an individual sport where the competitors are self-employed, 
and different uh, stages of their career and different you know levels of financial security and success and things like that um, then it becomes it becomes a different challenge from that respect but from the respect of the rights holder which you know I, I work for matching sport it becomes about or it has always really been and, and even more so about the overall product rather than necessarily the, the competitors for example on events like darts snooker boxing the challenges are do people come to see an individual play as they do with their favorite team or do they come to see the event um so that you know i think they're the main differences really and some individuals must make the event if that makes sense in yeah, yeah. some of those sports you know in boxing you sell tickets off the back of and, and you know and, and people watch tv off the back of the name that's competing whereas in darts for example People come more so because of the event. Obviously, they have an expectation as to the standard of competitor they're going to see. But when they're buying tickets six months in advance of the event date and they haven't seen the matches that have been announced because they don't even know who's qualified for that event, that shows the strength of the sport. And in some ways, that's that makes things a little bit easier because you know you're, you're selling a good product. Whereas in a, in a sport where you're selling an individual, if something was to take a downward turn for that individual, then you know it can become more of a challenge. So that makes sense. So the the power of the brand isn't reliant on the performance of the individuals. That's exactly right. Yes, exactly right. I mean, you know, names in sport like PDC, uh, you know, WWE, PGA, um, those those sporting brands, if you like, sell off the back of of what people's expectations are for the overall product rather than necessarily for the individual. Whereas if, for example, you went to watch an Anthony Joshua fight, whether he was fighting for a WBC belt, an IBO belt, a ring magazine belt, or whatever belt he was fighting for, wouldn't be your primary concern. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to go and watch a WBC championship fight. You'd say, I'm going to go and watch Anthony Joshua v whoever he was fighting. So, you know, there, there's different different scenarios there. And you, you can you can have some events that, that cross both over. You know, maybe say tennis, for example, people will enjoy the occasion of going to Wimbledon or whichever event they're going to, but in the same vein, they probably, you know, would, would be more inclined to go and watch Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic or Serena Williams. Yeah. And then clearly you've got challenges if those individuals are injured or have yeah, a downturn in form. Yeah. That, that... I mean, it, it can be a, a snooker. I know, you know, when, when, when Ronnie O'Sullivan or, you know, Mark Selby are eliminated from tournaments early, Judd Trump, it can cause a, a downward turn on TV viewing figures and we have a little bit the same with darts if Michael Van Gerwen, Peter Wright, Gary Anderson etc all go out early now don't get me wrong you'll always have a core audience who will you know stick with it uh, but in terms of attracting the neutral then that star quality that the the elite names in the sports bring to the the arena that is you know that that isn't to be underestimated. So in, in terms of the businesses you're involved in what are your biggest productivity challenges from kind of balancing the spectacle and the environment and creating the the buzz of of that event versus the cost of putting the event on and getting the right people there? Yeah, I think the, the challenge is always to make sure that the event evolves and doesn't become stale. You have to deliver what, what people want rather than what you want to give them, if that makes sense. You know, I think too many sports are stuck in a traditional mindset. They're stuck in a, this is what we've always done way of life. They're maybe run by committees who are governed by self-interest and they're not look, looking and listening to their their fan base and their potential fan base because you can take your existing fan base for granted but if you don't service it then it will disappear or drop off over time and you may struggle to uh, recruit replacements you know so retention is is as important as recruitment 
Um, and I think you know when you look at when you look at that from an overall sort of productivity perspective, you're, you're looking at it and saying, are we producing a product that, that we've evaluated the market and its demands and its requirements, or are we producing a product that we're comfortable just doing because it's you know what we've always done? What drives the biggest cost in some of your businesses? Is it the individuals or is it the venues yeah i mean prize money and uh prize money and and um and staging you know are, are obviously key well the, the most significant cost because you know when you're dealing at an elite level in high profile sports people are expecting to be paid hundreds of thousands or in some cases millions of pounds you know so that that's it that's a big risk can be a big risk um you know you can involve that person in the risk you know make them part of the part of the show part of the the business behind it and make them incentivized to deliver a profit as well. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you know, as I say about the evolution of the product, clearly that brings additional costs with it when you, um, you know, bring new innovations in and, and take on bigger and better venues and bigger and better broadcasting challenges and, uh, you know, international travel and things like that. So as that platform or stage evolves, if you like, so you talked about things getting bigger and better and new innovation coming in, how do you, keep control of the cost base because the obvious thing to do is push the ticket prices up but that then really alienates that community that you want to keep coming back yeah we've always looked at it particularly on darts as a you know not forgetting where the sport came from and we've always appreciated the value of having a sold out crowd and the atmosphere that that generates and and you know not just growing ticket prices exponentially because we felt we could sell them you know we've always kept kept an eye on where we've come from as well as where we're going and, and where we are now. So I think the um, the balance is to to not be greedy, you know, make sure that if you're going to make a profit, you take a long-term view and say, okay, let's, let's make a profit for the next 10 years or 12 years rather than let's really flog it, the backside out of it for the next two or three years. Sometimes that might work in a different environment. You know, if you were promoting a comedian or a band and you felt they had a limited shelf life, you might say, okay, let's really go to town and capitalise on their popularity whilst it's at its peak. But I think with sport, when you're looking to deliver a tour or a series of events and you're looking to do that over a longer period of time, you can't be greedy and you can't take your audience for granted and assume that they'll always have deep pockets and, and always give you their loyalty. Yeah, especially in maybe future times where things have, at the moment, when lockdown been virtual, so yeah. everything's online. Maybe there's a whole rethinking of the of how that's broadcast, or you know, yeah, there's going to be challenges in that respect. You know, I think five, ten years ago, we all paid hundred pound a month for Sky or whatever it was, and and moaned about it, but didn't have an alternative or didn't look at anything else. But you know, Sky, like like every other major major platform out there now, is evolving and is looking at the, the way that it delivers content. Obviously, things like Netflix, Amazon Prime, DAZN, which is a sports OTT platform not yet here in the UK, but they're all at a much lower monthly price. They don't deliver TV broadband or, uh, sorry, broadband telephone or maybe quite the range of programming. But then again, do people want a range anymore? Are people, not more, are people more interested in a vertical where they're interested in golf, so they want to sign up to a golf channel, or they're interested in model railway so they want to sign up to a model railway channel you know rather than a channel that has golf and model railways because they only like one of the two in the past you know there's been uh, platforms out there that have given you a range of sport movies documentary news entertainment the lot you know whereas now 
you know, certain certain uh, offerings are, are much more concentrated and, and go deeper into those fields. Yeah, I think it's interesting because clearly then you've got the ability to sell events. Sky have been doing box office for a while, haven't they? But you've also got the Netflix model of you can yeah. sign up for a month or it just carries on. Yeah, There's yeah. no kit kit to install, no, so I don't need a bloke to come and put a dish on my house. But also, because technology's improved, you can now offer a direct-to-consumer model as well as a, as a rights holder. You know, you could stream it yourself. You can go through YouTube. You can do it on your own website and your own platform. Um, you know, and because of smart TVs and the way that people are consuming media, um, you're not reliant on, as you say, a dish on the side of your house. Um, it doesn't even have to be able to be particularly viewable on a 65-inch TV on your on your um, living room wall anymore. You know, people are happy to watch content on their laptops, on their mobiles, on their tablets. And, you know, it's, it's not just a case of saying, well, this is on at seven o'clock on Tuesday night every week. I mean, when was the last time you watched a series where you waited faithfully every week for a new episode to come out? People don't want to do that anymore. They want to watch a box set and they want to bang it out in two nights with a bottle of wine on the sofa because that's the modern way of consuming media. So sport is possibly one of the only drivers now for, for scheduling. You know, sport and news, everything else needs to be on demand. And once sport has, has happened live, the shoulder programming that goes around it or the replay programming that, that goes after the live event, they need to be available 24-7 um, because that's how people want to watch it. Which gives you some agility in some areas and some opportunity in others as well in terms of how all that comes together and the timelines you're working on and, and what have you. So uh, that's interesting how that's all going to evolve and I assume even at more pace with, with where yeah. we'll come out from. Yeah, agreed. So clearly things like darts have, have been growing. You see it on the telly and everyone's having a great time. I've been to a couple myself mm. and um, it, it's got a great reputation as, as as football. And I think we're all we're all missing any type of live sport at the moment. So as you're starting to think about how they're going to grow over the the year next, you know, five, 10 years in this longer term strategy, how does cost control and efficiency feature in those? Because you can go bigger and bigger, but it clearly gets more expensive and more expensive. Yeah. yeah. I think when you look at it from a, a sort of personal point of view, um, as an individual who's responsible for, for a lot of those costs, you have to trust your judgment. You have to trust your experience and things you've learned, mistakes you've made over time. It's probably the only way you learn or certainly the best way you learn by making a mistake. But then as well, sometimes you have to take a little risk and you'll try something that you feel is at a reasonable level. If it doesn't work, you know, one one of the things I most enjoy about working for Matrim is that it's a company where you'll never get in trouble for trying something. If it doesn't come off, but you tried it with the right intentions, then that's not a problem. Obviously, if it's reckless or wasteful, then that's different. But the idea is you don't employ people or implement policies that are going to have, be reckless or wasteful. So, you, you know, you kind of have to take responsibility and, and, and trust your own judgment and experience. Yeah, it's interesting. It's been a theme on the podcast with various people we've spoken to. N- Nigel Javis being a big one about culture yeah. and that challenge culture of yeah. challenging upwards but also working in an environment and we're seeing it with lots of retailers at the moment where it's fine to try 10 things with the right intention if six of them don't work that's fine learn from it and be be better but the four that did work and you were agile and you got on with it and did it you've got some competitive advantage or revenue increase 
It's, it's funny, really. and, I've a lot from Nigel in the last couple of years because of the way he, he really advocates a challenge culture. And to be honest, you know, I've worked for Barry for 19 years and I love him to bits, but it took a while for Barry to, to come around to, to that kind of, of attitude. And he'll admit that himself, that for years it was his way or the highway. And generally, to be fair with Barry, most of the time his way was right and nobody could argue with it, you know. But in recent years, as, as Matram has grown as an entity and, you know, the the, the, the quantity and quality of staff there has, has improved with the digital age being upon us. You know, Barry's sort of embraced that more and now he's way more receptive. You know, I mean, I've been, you know, if I, if I would have taken an idea to him 19 years ago and he didn't like it, then he, would have, he wouldn't have necessarily been too keen to try it. But over the last you know, 10 years or so, that that has changed. And I've always been confident to, to challenge him with anything he says that I don't agree with and found him to be receptive. Even if in the end he'll say, no, we're doing it my way because I'm in charge, that's absolutely fine. You know, ultimately somebody has to be the boss and the decision maker. Yep. As long as they're receptive and open-minded to ideas, um, then I don't think you can have any complaints with that. No, and ideas grow ideas, don't they? So as soon as you encourage them to come, there'll be some that, off the cuff and brilliant some that yeah. don't make it but it's it's the it's the generation of them and they're keeping them coming that it where is. you find the one golden nugget in a hundred and to give you a good example at the pdc during this um period of restrictions we've been running an event called the pdc home tour where our professionals have been playing each other uh, in live streamed matches from home every night a single camera on their dartboard it's not the most uh, visual spectacle you'll ever see but there's good interaction between the players and the hosts and it's elite players playing top class darts in a competitive environment albeit a very different one now that idea came about because some of the you know creative minds in our in our media department work with some of the younger players who you know share that mentality that that digital first mentality which you know people in their 20s and below have now um and and formulated an idea that then those of us with a little bit more commercial experience could mould into a product that could be taken out to market. So, you know, that's a pretty good example, I think, of ways in which you can you can merge that creativity and that commercial vision to to deliver something that that is is is, uh, is welcomed by the market. Yeah, it, it's amazing in times of darkness how innovation thrives. Yeah. Whether that be world wars or, or pandemics, it, yeah. it's always or the hope is that that carries on post that and it doesn't get stifled again by bureaucracy or, or whatever gets in the way in I normal think, times. I think there's a lot more democracy with ideas now and, and people are more open minded and, and there's more opportunities. If you if you have an idea and you can't get it through in the channel that you wanted originally, there are other channels to turn to now, whereas before maybe the idea got stuck in a box at the back of the, the, the garden shed. Now it can be can be evolved in different ways you know and and there's a quote i've been thinking about a lot lately which winston churchill was is attributed to which was never waste a good never waste a good crisis i'm not sure i've got that exactly right word for word but it's similar along along those lines but the point is is obvious you know out of every scenario that brings problems can also bring solutions and can also bring different ways of working to to improve the way that, that, that you operate. I mean, our office is, is out in Brentwood. It's half an hour from Liverpool Street on the train and another half an hour from central London beyond that. So the days of me going to Shenfield and then getting the train into Liverpool Street for a meeting and then going back again are, are gone. I've done nothing but spend my life on Zoom and Zencaster <laughs> and Microsoft Teams and everything like that for the last six weeks. So what, why would I go back to wasting three or four hours of my day going into town for a meeting when I can when I can do, do it equally effectively and a lot more quickly on a, on a video call you know that, that 
just different things that come out of different circumstances that can have a long-term positive impact. Yeah, it's and there's all the byproduct of the environment and all the other things that go through it. So ho- hopefully we'll all stick to that. I'm sure old habits die hard, but yeah, I would have thought there'd be a... Don't get me wrong. There will be occasions, of course, where you need to sit around the table together. But just generally, you know, have you got time for a quick catch-up in town? Well, not really, no. Let's have a Zoom call. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. So it's been some fascinating insight, Matt. Really appreciate your time. The one thing we're asking everybody that comes on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? I think it's the message that the message that um, that I've been saying a couple of times during this podcast is give something, you know, if you trust yourself and you trust your market and you know your product, give something a try. And as long as you're not reckless with it and you can resolve it, if it doesn't work as you want it to, then you're much better off giving it a try rather than being left wondering what might have happened had you tried it. Perfect. Appreciate that, Matt. Thanks for your time. No, you're very welcome, Simon. No problem at all.